At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Pray with me. Father, this is our proclamation today no matter the storms that come and the doubts that creep into our hearts and minds when we see our world in such chaos, Lord, we still will trust in you. We will cling to your promises. They've never failed us. It certainly won't start now. We do ask that you would work in a powerful way in even bringing peace to the Holy Land, to Israel, to all those in the West Bank, in the Gaza Strip, and in Israel, we just pray for safety of the citizens, of the innocent. We're in pretty rough condition right now. We pray for the church in that area, that the light would be bright that you would protect our brothers and sisters and empower them to be messengers of life and hope. I thank you, Lord, for working in a way that brought even our team home that was in Israel this week. Thank you for the ministry that was able to take place. But Lord, thank you so much for providing a way for them to to return home. And Lord, I I pray for wisdom for the leaders, for care for all those that are involved in this, Lord. I know in our community we have many, many people in this metro Detroit area that are personally affected by this. So would you care for them? May we as followers of Jesus be sensitive. May we be burdened. May we be encouragers, and may we be faithful to pray for peace in Jerusalem, as you've called us to in your word. And now as we turn to your word, Lord, I pray that it would speak to us, that as we read the story of a person who experienced some pretty incredible transformation in his life, may we embrace that promise in our life. As we think of people around us that we wonder if there's any hope for them, may, may this fill us with hope and confidence that you are an expert at the, at the most difficult of cases, that your power reigns over anything that comes against you. I thank you for the power of Jesus. I thank you for his being with us now through his ministry of his Holy Spirit. And we ask that he would fully work in our hearts as we spend time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thanks for worshiping with us today. And thank you, worship team, for leading us. 
If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, as we continue our study in these three chapters, we looked at chapter 3, 4, and 5 in this, in this span of time. We have one more week in this series, um, and then we'll be diving into a, uh, a series out of a, a couple of different passages in, in the New Testament that describe how we can live in conflicted times. Have you, have you noticed today that there's some conflict out there? Not, not just in the national news, but like in your own circles. We live in a cancel culture. But we have been given the resources, not only just the truths, but also the presence of Jesus that allows us to be peacemakers in a cancel culture. So we're going to dive into those passages to see how we can experience, how we can pursue God's peace and being peacemakers in this canceled culture. So I'm really looking forward to that. I feel like that's been uh, overdue. Um, Every year, a number of us get together and talk about what's God saying? What does he want to say to us in our world, in our our church in in this coming year? We look back at at what we've taught over the past several months. We look at the condition of our culture and where our communities are, what our, what our congregations are going through. And we take that to the Lord and ask him to guide us in what we should teach for this coming year. And there is, wasn't any doubt in any of our minds as we, as we made this plan in this season during this next five weeks um, to talk about what God says about being peacemakers in troubled time. And so I'm really looking forward to that, looking forward to being God's word. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss being here. But today in Mark chapter 5, we get into a next scene that Jesus, uh, that Mark records Jesus experiencing. And we get to see the experience of incredible, profound transformation of the life and heart of a man who is considered utterly hopeless. And we like transformation stories. We love seeing things go from completely broken and probably worth throwing away to becoming extravagant and worth putting on a TV show. In fact, we've got plenty of those shows, don't we? Chasing the classics, chasing classic cars, You know that ran for 17 years where there's apparently enough of us that would turn into that television program that for 17 years, story after story on these weekly episodes telling about how someone found this car, they had a dream for the car, that not only did they purchase it, they invested time into it and transformed it into a beauty. You probably have, are familiar with the name Ty Pennington, right? And the extreme home makeovers that, that we've seen. In fact, I heard from our township supervisor that a Clay Township home just experienced one of those things. That'll be on a coming episode of extreme home makeover, so you can be watching for that. We certainly, my sons uh, have enjoyed... Uh, Enjoyed the show Forged in Fire, 
You seen that where these blacksmiths take just this piece of scrap iron and somehow pound and heat and transform it into a formidable weapon that was used in ancient times or back through history? Right? We love these stories of taking something that maybe somebody would have thought, ah, I can go to the scrap heap. But no, they had this dream and they saw the transformation take place. I wonder if maybe we're enthralled by them because we've kind of done our little attempts at that with some things. And maybe we've had enough failures that we think, well, it's just good to watch somebody succeed at this. <laughs> you know, how many Saturday afternoons do you invest in your backyard? And have you ever made to the episode of insane pools from the deep end? <laughs> right. Uh, maybe you've taken your car wash through the car through the car wash and expecting on the other side it comes out to be that beautiful classic car, but still that Buick LeSabre is still just creeping along. Nobody's desire except yours because it keeps running because that's what Buick LeSabres do. They just keep going. That's why I keep it because it's going to keep going. We've had our share of times where, man, sure would be nice for this dream to come true. And, and maybe that even is true as you look in the mirror. Maybe you saw those Facebook ads of that old dude that was all flabby. But just from those exercises he did, he turned into this, this buff body of a 22-year-old. And maybe you think, I could do that. And you look in the mirror after doing a couple days of those exercises, and it's still the same dude. And you think, it'll never work. Maybe even look at your heart in the spiritual condition. You said, I really hope that I could get through this, but I keep hurting my family with what I say. Because when I get so angry, I just say it. Maybe, maybe that's... It's a lust in your heart that you have given to the Lord and said, Lord, take this away because it's too strong. I don't want to keep succumbing to this, to this temptation. And you look in the mirror and you realize, I did it again. And you wonder, is transformation even possible? Well, I want to share with you another story of transformation in hopes that you'd be instilled with confidence that with Jesus, transformation is possible. No matter the struggle you have, no matter the burden and the lifelong struggle you've had, with Jesus, transformation is possible. Last week, we looked at a, a scene in Jesus' life where he demonstrated power over the natural, Right, A big storm blew into the Sea of Galilee and threatened him and his disciples. But Jesus wasn't afraid. He demonstrated the power over it, calmed the sea, and they were amazed. Who does this, they said? Who has power that the winds and the waves would obey him? And, they, and the answer, they realized, was only Jesus. Here we see the story of the one who's more powerful than the natural is also more powerful than the supernatural. As he steps into this extreme situation, this man who is demonstrated as 
utterly hopeless. Jesus reveals himself as an expert in exorcism, that he's the one that can cast out the demons, and he demonstrates himself as reigning over the spiritual world, over the demonic powers that reign in our world today. Jesus reigns over the spiritual world. And it's Halloween season, so kind of timely for this. It's a time that in our culture we kind of get enthralled with, with the spooky, right? And maybe it's a good time to remind ourselves that, folks, the demonic world is real. It's not something to be made light of. Satan is a true being. He does have powers. It is his desire to destroy and kill and steal. And maybe it's good for us to be careful as we approach a season like this, not to make, make light of the powers of darkness and destruction. Maybe it's good to be reminded that we shouldn't celebrate um, the demonic and witchcraft and such things that has no place for believers. We as a church ministry have recognized that every day, is an opportunity for us to share Jesus. That even in a, hollow, in a holiday like Halloween, we say, hey, people are going to gather? Hey, that's a good chance for them to see Jesus. And so let's, let's demonstrate Jesus. Let's not, let's not be compelled into celebrating powers of demons and such things, but let's embrace the truth that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That the powers of darkness bow at the name of Jesus. So it doesn't cause us to be afraid. In fact, we don't isolate even in times like this. We step in and we're involved in the community to be the presence and the light of Jesus Christ no matter what other people are celebrating because we believe that Jesus is more powerful. And we see this as the mode of ministry for Jesus. Mark chapter 1, read with me. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Let me just pause right there. To the, they came to the other side of the sea. So you see this connected to calming the storm, right? They just came through that. Brings them out of the storm and takes them to this region on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. There's this region on the shore that had been occupied by the Roman Empire and had become very much Hellenized, we would say. The Greek culture had saturated these regions. In fact, it was a region called Decapolis, 10 cities. This city mentioned here is one of those 10 cities. It was a place that many of the Jews had moved away from. It was, though there was synagogues in many of the cities, the leaders of, the, of Judaism had abstained from there. The Pharisees had separated, they'd isolated from these regions because they didn't want to dirty themselves with that Gentile influence. And so maybe when Jesus calmed the sea, 
and he directed them to take the boat to, the, to this region, maybe the disciples are thinking, why? Why would we go there? We, I mean, we want to tell the story of what just happened. And there's nobody there that wants to know. Let's go to Capernaum, back to our friends, because they want to know. Let's go to Tiberias, they'll want to know. Let's go to these other communities where they'll be friendly to the word and the power of the Jewish God that has calmed such things to the Jewish Messiah. Not to Decapolis. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Led them to the sea, to the shore of the Gerasenes. And, may, and it seems that maybe the disciples kind of stayed back and said, I'm not sure we should go. And maybe that's why it says, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, <laughs> maybe the rest of them were like clinging to the rails of the boat. Uh-uh, I'm not going. Jesus is like, okay, I'll go. And he steps out into the boat and immediately, just like the disciples feared, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. And they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Incredible story. But we see when Jesus encounters the powers of darkness, he removes our uncleanliness. He removes our uncleanness. He removes our brokenness. This is what Jesus does. I mean, think about the condition of this man. It's described first as a man with an unclean spirit. Could have said a man with a demon. Would have been just as accurate, but, but to a Jewish audience, a man with an unclean spirit would have been maybe even more impressive. The unclean, being unclean is the one thing that would separate you from society, from religious influence, from your family. Being unclean was a curse. Man had an unclean spirit. In other words, number one, he was spiritually desolate. removed from any sense of privilege, lived among the tombs where the Jewish law would declare you, if you've touched the bones or, or a tomb, you would be declared unclean, and that's where he lived. 
banned from worship, removed from society, distant from God, possessed by a demon. Or, as it says, by a legion of demons. So spiritually desolate. Number two, relationally ruined. He's violent, unpredictable. The only hope that a safe society had was to bind him with chains. If he's going to be close to them, he had to be bound. But even that couldn't contain him. Lost all ability to be restrained. A danger to himself and others. Physically wrecked, thirdly. So spiritually, relationally, physically. Injured himself, screaming, shouting, cutting himself with stones. In other words, he's one of those people that you would realize, not hope for him. Let him live in the tombs. Let him live out in the wilderness because we're safer that way. And immediately when Jesus touches the shore, he comes running to Jesus. And as he does, it seems that Jesus immediately begins demanding the spirit to come out of the man. The reference in the, the, of, of the words implies Jesus continually saying, come out of the man, you demon. Come out of the man, you demon, as the man was approaching Jesus. The demon identifies quickly who this was. This is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. The demons demand that Jesus not torment him, but Jesus doesn't bend. They can't, they can't tell him what to do. So he demands to know its name. For the first time, the demons were now submissive to someone else. So all the demons could do was beg. Don't torment us. Don't send us out of the country. In fact, Luke's gospel, who often includes greater details in these accounts, reveals that they were even crying out to Jesus not to send them into the abyss, into their eternal place of torment. If you know the teachings of Scripture and the demonic and satanic uh, realities, you know that hell is a place, the lake of fire is a place created for Satan and his demons. That is their eternal destiny. That is where they will go for all of eternity as punishment for their rebellion against God. Their greatest fear was being cast and condemned into an existence Sooner than needed. They begged him, don't send us to the abyss. Interestingly, Jesus responds by casting them out of the man into the pigs as they begged him. And this has caused lots of people to ask that question. Well, why did he do that? Why didn't he just cast him into the abyss? And the text doesn't say. It's like a lot of times where you have a question from a story and you want to know the answer and you look around the verses before, the verses after, other parallel passages and you're left with a question, well, why did he do that? We don't know for sure. Some have suggested, and this is pro- I think this is, makes, makes great sense, 
that he allowed the, the demons to go in, to be inhabited into these pigs that would drive them to the sea and jump into the sea and perish to help people know this is the ambition of the forces of darkness. This is Satan's desire and the desire of the demonic world for every person they can influence. They want to destroy. And it was God's grace that allowed this man to not be completely destroyed by the legions of demons. We talked before about God allows the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He sends rain to the just and the unjust. Maybe this is an element of God's protection over this man. Though he was tormented with these demons, it was still God's grace that kept him alive. In Jesus' way for all of us to see that. You want to see what happens when my grace is removed? Watch these pigs. And they're destroyed. And with that, the man is healed. The man can come close because no longer is he unclean. No longer is he spiritually desolate. No longer is he relationally separated. No longer is he physically wrecked because this man has experienced transformation. In other words, people are different than cars and houses. And sometimes you look at a house and you think, it probably should just be raised. It should be torn down. There's no hope for that. Even Ty Peddington with his crew would come and they'd look and say, ah, we don't have the resources for that. Even there's cars that... Your greatest hope of rebuilding just the corrosion and the rust has just take, gone too far. There's no hope for that except the scrap heap. People are different. As the image bearers of God, where there's Jesus, there's hope. And Jesus steps into this hopeless condition and cleanses and transforms. And I think this is really good for us to know. That if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's the kind of grace and power and transformation that God possesses. That he, he will cleanse, he can cleanse if we confess and receive what he offers to us. There's this beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It starts out with what seems to be some tragic, dark news for people. Then flips completely. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 10. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, some of you are, have this same story as this man that some would consider 
utterly hopeless. In fact, when you look back at your life, you would think, I was so far from God. The track that I chose for my life was so contrary to what God designed for me. But I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I've been washed. I've been made new. I've been justified. I've been transformed. That's what he says to the church of Corinth. It was filled with people that didn't deserve the kingdom of God, but it's God's transformation completely changed the trajectory of their life. And God wants to do that over and over and over and over again. So don't think for a minute, I'm too far gone. God could never forgive me. Don't think that for a minute. When you look at some other people in your life and you think, I don't, I, there's nothing more I can say to them. They're just not listening. They continue to go down a road of brokenness. They're, they're hurting themselves. They're hurting others. There's no hope. Well, that may be true in a natural look, but when you look through the lens of the supernatural Son of God, there is hope. Jesus reigns over the powers of even the demonic world. Secondly, we see what does Jesus do in the face of demonic activity? He restores our humanity. Let me say that again. He restores our humanity. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Again, let's look at the description of this man. Those of the region came to see what happened, and they saw this man sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. No longer violent and destructive, but with full capacities, fully at peace, right with God. Everything that was wrong was now made Right. I want to make sure I clarify this. When we think of God's restoring our humanity as he transforms us, I want you to know and be assured that every human being, every human being, regardless of their relationship with God, regardless of their behavior, is fully human. This is really important for you to embrace. The Bible teaches that human beings are created in the image of God and because of that are deserving of a view of sanctified, um, of, of valuable, of worthy of love. Even those that rebel... Even those that don't acknowledge God as king, that maybe don't even acknowledge his existence. We see this affirmed as Noah was told by God. 
that regardless of what happens, now after the flood, regardless of what happens, if someone maliciously takes the life of another human being, that person should be judged. Why? Because humans are created in the image of God and worthy of viewed as a sanctified being, valued regardless of their relationship with God, regardless of their behavior. Wayne Grudem refers to every human being as having the status of human, of having the status of being in God's image. Even though the sin and the fall has, has corrupted our expression of that, the reality is every human has the status of being in the image of God. Our sinful character doesn't rightly reflect God's image. We don't accurately represent him on our, on our world. We aren't fully experiencing true life when we're dead in our sins, when we refuse to worship the true God, when we rebel against him, and yet we are still human. This is so important because there's many worldviews that don't take that perspective. That there's some religions that, that would teach that infidels or those that rebel against or, don't, or deny their divine being that they worship, those that don't worship him are subhuman. That's not the teaching of Scripture. That there's no ethnic group that is any less human than any other ethnic group. Even though evolution would suggest that. If you embrace an evolution perspective, you're embracing a perspective that says there's a higher evolved group of us. They deserve greater honor than others. That's not the teachings of scripture. An atheistic perspective claims that there is no divine origin for any of us. We're just evolved creatures over eons of time with combustions of certain gases, and that's why we are today. There's no divine purpose. There's no accountability to the divine. It's just whatever you think best. It's important to know that the view cast through Scripture is so different than that. That regardless of what somebody has done to another person, that person is, is a human being. And yet, though fully human... We don't experience true humanity without the transforming power of God. You see, if we, if we live our lives built upon this idea that just do what you want, live according to whatever passions that you have on your heart, you are experiencing less than human existence. 
Even though our culture would say, actually, if you let somebody tell you, no, you should avoid that, then you're being limited in expressing the true humanity. No, no, you know who is the one true human fully expressing full humanity? Do you know who that was? That's Jesus Christ. The one that was fully submitted to the Father. The one that fully lived out what humanity was created to do and experience. And so being fully human is not saying, you can't tell me what to do. Being fully human is submitting yourself to your creator who desires you to experience full and abundant life. And that's what he offered this man. As Jesus cast the demons out of that man, this man for the very first time experienced all that experience of being true human. And every time that you surrender an area of your life to God, to seek to live fully in his will, that allows you to experience more of that fullness of humanity that God designed you to experience. So with this transformation, with this miraculous deliverance, God restored to him the true, full humanity. And as you see the man fully transformed and finally at peace, interestingly, it it terrifies the people that came to see it, didn't it? They saw him and thought, ah, Oh no, Jesus, you got to get out of here. I don't know what you're going to, maybe, maybe the only experience of, of, of extreme power that they've ever had was expressed with oppression. Maybe they've experienced some of what we see, that when, when more power is granted, more oppression comes. So maybe they thought, oh no, here's somebody with great power, he, he, then, then we're at risk. So you leave so we don't have to live under your power. Maybe they've never experienced the power of God in their life where the supreme power that rules over our life actually provides the best life possible. But they ask him, you got to leave. you got to leave. And he had more ministry to do. And it reveals another way that Jesus confronts the powers of darkness. Number three, he commissions us for ministry. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And if you were to read through the book of Mark, you would see that large crowds gathered around Jesus. And there was, there's twice in the Gospels that it said, and people from Decapolis came to hear the teachings of Jesus. In other words, this man's story stuck. This man's story made an impact throughout the region because that's what Jesus does. When he transforms your life Yes, it's so that you can experience abundant life, but it's also so that other people can too. You each have a story to tell. God has done a wonderful work in your story, and wherever you've allowed Jesus to rule and reign in your life is another testimony of abundant life that people need to hear. 
The man, of course, wanted to go with Jesus. Isn't that what you would have wanted to do? Yeah, let me go with you because you've changed my life. I don't want to leave you. Jesus said, actually, I have a mission for you. to Go and tell people because more people need to experience this same thing. This is always Jesus' intention. Bringing the kingdom of God, transforming a life, and letting the kingdom spread to others. This was his intention for the nation of Israel. Through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 49, God spoke to the nation of Israel who was being freed from from, um, captivity, freed from exile in Babylon and then in Persia. They're being freed to go back to the land. And God said to them, now be careful. Don't, Don't have too small of a vision. He says it's too small of a thing to work only for the restoration of Israel. My desire is that you would be a light for the nations. He says, I'm restoring the nation, not just so the nation of Israel can be restored, but so that the nations of the world can hear of God's saving power. Jesus said to each of us to go into all the world. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses. You're to go into all the nations of the world and preach the gospel. You might not be theologically trained. You might not have all the answers. You may be afraid of questions people might ask. But you have a story. A story that no one else has. It's your story of how God entered your life and brought you life. He didn't say that if you say everything exactly right, And if you learn all the methods of persuasion and you actually do some crazy things that people will be amazed with and make sure the presentation is perfect, then you'll convince people into the kingdom. He never said that. He simply said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses to the nations of the world. The only qualifier is that you've received the Holy Spirit and that he's transformed your life. And that you witness of it. As you tell the story, people's hearts will be open to the kingdom of God because that's how he's designed it to work from the beginning of time. So we don't have to go into a season of darkness afraid. We don't have to take the Pharisee approach of cloistering ourselves and, and not being part of the world. We don't have to, we shouldn't take the Sadducees approach by just infiltrating and so we don't look any different than the world. No, but we can be in the world and not of the world. We, do, we can be in the presence where there is darkness, but we know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world and we can be ambassadors for Christ. It's how he's designed us to live as the church. So yeah, the kingdom of God, it starts small, but like a mustard seed, grows up into a tree that the birds of the air can come and find rest. The kingdom of God is like seeds that scattered. You don't even know where they're going, what kind of soil they fall on. All you know that you're responsible to scatter the seed. But it's the word that has the power to germinate and transform a life. So let's be faithful to it. Let's experience the kingdom of God personally. And then let's share the word to our family and our friends. Because the story will 
make a difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for changing our life. And we know that we're not all that we should be yet. We still struggle with thinking we can come up with a greater life than what you've designed. Lord, we know, we know from so many examples in scripture, from examples in our own life and those around us, Lord, that truly when you reign, we are most alive. When we allow you to be king and Lord of our life, we are most alive. So may we submit those areas of our life to you, Lord, so we can experience like this man being sitting, clothed, and in our right mind instead of resorting to that insane practice of going back to those things that destroy and rob us of life. I pray that you'd empower our stories. I pray that we'd be bold and courageous to share what you've done in our life so that more people can know you. I pray that you'd break every chain, that you'd remove every hurdle in our life that keeps us from that close, intimate walk with you. Thank you for that desire in your heart and for promising us that what you've started in our life, you will be faithful to continue until the day of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.